Greetings and welcome to the Dr. Taylor Marshall podcast. I'm joined again with Father Frank Pavone. He's going to give us an update on what's been going on. As you know, he received the decree of laicization and he came on the podcast before and we discussed that and what it meant for him. And now that it's been about a month later, he's back to tell us what's going on and if there's any progress and what his plans are. And I think it's a perfect time, Father Pavone, because we're going right into the March for Life. Well, it's great to be back with you. Thanks for, for all the coverage that you're giving to this topic. And yes, this is the pro-life Super Bowl time of the year. Uh, we're, uh, in fact, just this morning, I, I prayed with uh, uh, several members of my staff who are right now on their way to Washington with a big U-Haul filled with uh, pro-life materials for our uh, uh, exhibit booth at several conferences uh, taking place in the next few days and our signs for our silent no more women and men who will be uh, testifying about their abortion experience. Uh, I'll be uh, flying there tomorrow morning. I'll be leading the national prayer service Friday morning. In fact, in fact if I could take the opportunity, anyone who's coming to DC for these next few days, Come to that national prayer service Friday morning, Constitution Hall. We're going to have a mass at 7.30, celebrated by one of my associates at Priest for Life. And then we'll have the interdenominational service at 8.30. And Taylor, we're going to honor the pregnancy centers, uh, the pioneers. We're going to have some of the founders and foundresses of the pregnancy center movement. And we wanted to do that this year precisely because of the attack that the centers have been under, as, as you well know, and as you've reported on, uh, since the Dobbs decision. Uh, it, it's just been horrific. And the silence from the Democrats about those attacks has been shameful. But we're gonna honor those people there at Constitution Hall. I'm gonna deliver a powerful message. We're gonna get spiritually charged up for the march itself. So as you can tell, I mean, the work, the, the, the update really is simply that we've had a month of, first of all, great publicity. I mean, there's no such thing as bad press, you know, when you, when you come right down to it. Because uh, uh, people who, 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 who see the headlines, who hear about the stories, you know, no matter how negative the story might be, there's a lot of people hearing about this work for the first time. And they take a look at it and they say, hey, you know what? I like this. I like what I see, you know, and no matter what the headline actually says, they connect with the work that they like and they end up supporting it. It's been a month of growth for us. Tremendous growth. Um, in fact, of course, not to make light of the situation in any way, uh, but I was joking with some of my team. I said, hey, listen, if the Vatican issued a decree against us every week, we would quickly become uh, the largest pro-life force in, in the universe. You know, so I, I, listen, I am at, at, at the Lord sustains us in everything. I am in a tremendous peace, uh, uh, joy. Uh, I'm looking forward to this March for Life like, like as, as, as eagerly as any other. Uh, and I've been going since 1976. Um, our team is united 100%. One of the, the, the concrete updates since we last spoke you may have seen it online. I have it here in my hand. I have a resolution here from our board of directors of Priests for Life and another resolution here from our board of directors of the National Pro-Life Religious Council. Uh, I'm uh, 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 CEO of both of these organizations and both of them unanimously expressing in these documents uh, their full support of my continued uh, leadership and activity of these ministries for life. 
Uh, I'm very grateful. We've got a board that is just so good, and they are so good at what they do in their respective professions, so committed to the pro-life cause, uh, and they see through uh, the, the political games that are being played here in the church, and they say, you know what, we're going to keep focused, just like all our supporters are focused, on the work itself. Babies are being saved. Moms and dads are being healed. Pro-life candidates are being elected. Pro-life laws are being passed. Hearts and minds are coming to realize abortion is wrong. You know what? If we're accomplishing that, people can say and do to me what they want. We're still going to accomplish uh, those goals. So that's uh, that's the latest. Well, I'm looking. I'll be with you at March for Life. We're we're flying in on uh, tomorrow, I think. So uh, we'll be there and, okay. we'll, and certainly stop by and and say hello and pray together. Yeah, we need to we need to connect. Yeah, yes. I love to connect with you in person. Yeah. Now, is it is it somewhat? I can't, I have to imagine it's a little bittersweet for you that you've been fighting this night since 1976, and yes. finally, Roe v. Wade overturned. Yes. Same year, you get laicized. Did you ever see that coming? And how does that feel? I did see it coming. Uh, I, I saw a long time ago that those who oppose us in the church, and as you know, personnel is policy. I think I think we said in our in our first lengthy discussion about this that it's not so much about them against me as it is about a church divided within itself, because we get far more support, even among the hierarchy, than we do opposition. Um, but it depends on who's in what position at what time. So personnel is policy. And uh, so, but, but, but for a long time I saw this coming simply because I saw that those in the hierarchy who are against us, and I hope that some of them are listening to this conversation because they know the truth of what I'm about to say, this was a one-sided narrative. Mm -hmm. This was a script that they had written already and they couldn't care less about all the good work that, that we just briefly described and, and that so many, you and so many of our, our viewers are already familiar with. They couldn't care less about the arguments we made or the defense that we, that we uh, uh, put forward through the various canonical processes. Taylor, they couldn't care less about that. This was a preordained narrative that they wanted me, they, they want to blunt the influence uh, 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 and, 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 and because that's their goal, to blunt the influence of my message and my activity and that of my team, because that's their goal, they're not going to stop attacking me. Like, guaranteed it's not going to stop. They'll come up with some other reason now why oh, people shouldn't listen to Father Frank. People shouldn't connect with Priests for Life. Even though this decision has nothing to do with Priests for Life, what we already see happening is that people say, oh, well, you know, well, since they did this to Father Frank, you know, we, we got to keep an arm's distance from, from Priest for Life. That's nonsense. I mean, that's like, you know, it, it, that, that just goes to show how some people are, they're just totally oblivious to the good that's being done and the lives being saved and the, 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 the cause of life itself. Um, uh, so that's what, uh, uh, that's how I feel at this particular moment. Now, I can't help but notice you're not wearing your collar. Last time we spoke, you had your car on. You, you don't, you're wearing black, but you don't have a collar on. And I'm sure everyone at home and everyone watching is asking the same question. 
what does this mean for the laicization? Is this your new look? At the moment, and, and I'm, uh, you know, as I've been doing throughout all this process, I'm following the advice of my my canonical uh, advisors, and they've said that that's the right thing to do now is is to, uh, I mean, I can dress the way I want, except not present myself as a, a priest out of respect for the, you know, the authorities in the church. And um, e e even when you know that a decision was based on uh, either a wrong information or a wrong uh, view of the of the facts, uh, that nevertheless, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing now in terms of uh, having received that word that, hey, you can no longer you know, present yourself as a priest. You know, it's the same reason why, you know, I wouldn't do a public mass. As you know, I've been broadcasting daily masses on my own uh, uh, online uh, feeds. Um, what I'm doing now instead is uh, taking the scriptures uh, of the day that are, are in the readings, uh, reading them, and giving what the same exhortation I would be giving in the, uh, in the homily. So, uh, so in other words, even though it's not the the the, the celebration of mass, uh, I'm not going to stop preaching the word and and giving people the the insights, especially as applied to the pro-life movement, uh, that I would be doing anyway. And so that is where it's a it's a uh, um, uh, a, a a respect for the limitations uh, that they've put me under. And at the same time, a determination to carry forward all the things I can do that do not require priestly ordination. And, and since we last talked, we've we've seen the death of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Yes. Yes. What's what are your thoughts and and reaction to that? He, uh, I, I was privileged to serve for a while uh, on the Pontifical Academy for Life. Uh, and that was under the pontificate yeah. of Benedict the Sixteenth. Back when it was good, uh, when it was good, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, we were able to to serve him. He encouraged us, especially one particular year. The Academy for Life had a um, uh, at its annual uh, gathering. The theme was on healing after abortion, and being that that I'm the chairman of the, the largest ministry for that, which is Rachel's Vineyard. Uh, mm -hmm. Teresa Burke, my associate and founder of Rachel's Vineyard, uh, and Janet Morana, who co-founded Silent No More, whom you also know, uh, the three of us were there with Pope Benedict at this at this uh, Academy for Life gathering. And he, you know, Taylor, he said something, uh, and this is one of the p parts of the legacy of the teaching of this great Pope that I appreciate in, in, in particular, it, with the battles we fight in the pro-life movement. He said to us that day that the work of the church in healing people after abortion cannot just be done by the dioceses uh, with their, you know, they have their Project Rachel, as they call it, and so forth. Cannot just be done by them. He said it requires the collaboration of all different types of independent ministries. We knew he was speaking right to us. <laughs> he knew we were what we, who we are and what we do. Rachel's Vineyard, and Pope Francis, by the way, in, in my encounters with him, strongly encouraged the work of Rachel's Vineyard uh, to my face. And uh, he, uh, uh, but, but going to Pope Benedict, this was a reflection of, as you know, his appreciation for the movements within the church. Uh, Pope Benedict taught us that you know, we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit given to the body of Christ. 
Well, one of those gifts is the hierarchical structure of the church. And of course, he would see in that his own ministry as successor of Peter. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But likewise, from the same spirit, you have these multiple charisms that arise among the people of God that give rise to movements, that give rise, for that matter, to religious congregations, that express some aspect of the work of the gospel that some in the church are called to focus on. So the Salesians, and I was trained in in my college years with the Salesians, focus on ministry to youth, Uh, the Franciscans serving the poor, and, and on and on it goes. And so wouldn't there be a charism in the church? Wouldn't there be a movement for also pro-life, for the the advocacy for the unborn? There most definitely is. And so many watching now are involved in that. So uh, I I always had a great, um, uh, really a, a comfort and a great satisfaction in how he articulated the role of the movements. Because many of the problems we're facing, and I think in large measure the problem uh, that has been foisted upon me with, with this recent action comes from a mindset that says the only thing that matters in the church is the bureaucratic diocesan structure. That is such <laughs> a cheap ecclesiology. That, that, that is a truncated, uh, 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 ossified, uh, shallow ecclesiology. When, when, you, when, when church gets reduced to bureaucratic diocesan structure. And yet there are so many in that bureaucratic diocesan structure who actually think we're the church. And it's like, no, you're not. You are members of the church. You exercise a particular and important role given to you by the Holy Spirit. But you got to get your ecclesiology straight. The church is the people of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Yes, hierarchically ordered. And yet, as the decree on the apostolate of the laity says in, in, in the Second Vatican Council, we are assigned to the apostolate by the Lord himself. By our baptism, by our confirmation, we are given uh, the charge to bear witness to the gospel, which is the gospel of life, and uh, thereby uh, so many beautiful movements arise. This is part of the great legacy of Pope Benedict that I think the church is, is well served uh, by paying attention to. Yeah. Now, you you had mentioned that you have met Pope Francis. How many times have you met Francis, and what have those interactions Uh, been like? Four or five times. Uh, They've they've been in the context of of the first time was a a pilgrimage during the year of faith. Remember, when when he became Pope, we were still in the year of faith, so certain events had been planned already, and one of them was uh, a pilgrimage for the gospel of life, which I was leading. Uh, and uh, it, it was in, let's see, he became Pope in uh, what, in March? Um, and and this pilgrimage was in June. So it was just a few months after he assumed uh, his, his role. And uh, I met him on that occasion after the mass that he celebrated in St. Peter's Square for this pilgrimage for the gospel of life. Uh, subsequently, I met him a couple of times in conjunction with... Um, the, um, well, the Pontifical Academy for Life, which I was still serving on when he became Pope, but then also with Cardinal, um, 
Schönborn of Austria, uh, he uh, led a gathering that I've spoken at a couple of times called the International Catholic Legislators Network. And uh, on that occasion, too, uh, I was able to uh, encounter uh, uh, Pope Francis. And on these various occasions, I spoke to him about different aspects of my work. But the second time we met is when I mentioned that, uh, you know, Your Holiness, in, in, in addition to heading priests for life, in that capacity, I, I'm I'm pastoral director of Rachel's Vineyard around the world. And he, and he stopped me, he said, Rachel's Vineyard. So that is an excellent work. It is so great. Move forward with that. Because he had seen the fruits of it in, in Argentina. And uh, we knew he was... Uh, um, uh, he was a supporter of that work. So yeah, it, I mean, they were all great encounters. Uh, we, I presented him with various books that I've written and, and resources we've produced for the clergy and books that my, my associate Janet Morana also uh, met him a couple of times. And uh, uh, he was asking her about Silent No More and the great witness of you know, those that have been healed from abortion. Uh, so they were, really, they were really beautiful encounters, you know, which leads you to think, you know, how does that kind of coexist with something like this that you know that 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 he signed off on to laicize me and you got to think about the the, the the men in the middle i mean who who's who's advising him and of course we know that some american bishops they have such um uh, a negative view of uh, many of the things the pro-life movement does and that we do that they just you know they they chirp in his ear and they get bad information to him yeah so do you think that when Francis signed off on your decree of laicization, he had a face with that name? He knew this is Father Frank Pavone, who I've met, who's Rachel's Vineyard, all this. Do you think he, he had that connection? Yeah, that's a good question. I think so only because um, my work and I have come to his attention in multiple ways uh, over multiple years. Um, I would, if I had a guess, and it's only a guess, obviously, on all our parts, uh, I would say, yeah, he knows He knows exactly uh, uh, who, who I am. Um, the difference is, what is he being told and by whom? And I know he's gotten contradictory messages. I know he's gotten the input from those who support me uh, strongly and also from those who have advocated that there's a better solution to this put me under a different bishop, because a lot of the problem has been coming from the local bishop uh, there in Amarillo. And it's like, why? I mean, this is why. And, and Taylor, this is one of the things, I'm sure you've you've seen it as much as I have, where, where people jump right away to, oh, but he was disobedient, he was disobedient. And I always ask, you know, where's this coming from? What do you, what, what, in what way exactly was I disobedient? Come to find out that some people have the idea that if a bishop says to you, you have to do this or you can't do that, that if you say, I'm sorry, but I think your, your order is, is, is unjust and harmful, I'm going to go above your head, some people look at that as disobedience. If that's disobedience, why does the law of the church permit it? The law of the church has built into it, just like our civil law does, processes of appeal when you think an authority has done something wrong. You know, we don't check our brains at the door when we enter the Catholic Church or when we enter the priesthood. We don't check our brains at the door. Obedience is supposed to be an action between thinking, reasoning human beings who are able to perceive what's going on and who are able to communicate with each other and furthermore, who have enough respect for each other uh, 
to 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 listen and to talk and to exchange information that might in fact impact the decision that's being made. So to simply reduce this again, just like the shallow ecclesiology we were talking about a moment ago, it, that goes along with a very very shallow uh, notion of obedience, uh, which is a mechanical robotic uh, 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 view whereby, uh, oh, well, you know, if he said something, you know, you have to do it. Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, what if what the person is saying is harmful in a way that maybe they don't understand, or maybe worse, they intend? You go over their heads. You use the processes that are, you don't, you don't rebel. You don't go off on your own. You use the processes that the church provides, and there's a reason they provide them, because the church is big enough and old enough to, to, to know human nature and to know there are going to be these conflicts, um, and, and they provide these ways of resolving the conflict. So the pope was told, hey, listen, why don't we just let Father Frank go to a different bishop? There are other bishops willing to take me, and uh, it's not like he doesn't want to be under authority. It's that right now there's a broken you know, relationship between him and the authority he's under. Let's, for the good of the church and for the good of the priest, let's change that. And and that's the way the law is supposed to work. So last time we talked, Father Pavone, you had said the two ways forward, if I remember correctly, are, one, Pope Francis reverses his decision. Two, Pope Francis dies and a future pope reverses the decision. Is that still the case? Are those still our two options, or has a third manifested? Those are the two options, and, and a third reality coexists with both of those options, uh, which we're seeing very clearly, and that is the people of God have rendered their verdict. Uh, the support, I showed you these two documents, I mean, uh, the, the support of, the, of my, le my leadership teams in all the organizations that I lead uh, is reflective of the supporters of these ministries that, hey, this, we've got a good thing going here. I mean, to say it in, in, in no simpler terms, we've got a good thing going here. Uh, and because uh, my leadership of this work, you know, in large part does not require uh, 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 priestly ordination, Keep doing it when well, we have to keep advocating uh, for the unborn and doing the work that we do. Um, plus, we have we have other priests, too, in, in leadership in Priests for Life as well. So um, the judgment of the people of God cannot be ignored in this whole thing. We wouldn't have gotten to the point of influence to which we've gotten, which is precisely what makes some of these bishops uncomfortable, if it were not something the people of God were already uh, supporting. Uh, and that is, an, an I mean, we all have appeals. We can appeal to authorities in a juridical process. We can appeal, of course, ultimately to God, God himself, who alone uh, is, is, is owed our absolute obedience. Uh, we can appeal to our own conscience, and we can appeal to the people of God. Uh, and I think all of us make use of those things in various ways uh, at various times. So, but yeah, that's the that's that's the way the situation stands. One of the most encouraging things about your case is not just Catholics, not just pro-lifers, but people in. I don't even want to say not just the conservative community, but people from all different demographics have been shocked and offended by your treatment by the Vatican. I mean, even someone like Ben Shapiro, who's Jewish. Um, I've seen yeah. so many Protestant evangelical people, commentators, pastors speak out against this 
I mean, your story is is a mainline story, and surely the Vatican and Pope Francis have felt that impact, no? I would think so, if they're yeah. paying any attention at all. Uh, I would think so. And, uh, you know, as the impact is felt, more of the details of, of this are coming out, which, which uh, again, so many people have taken it upon themselves to comment on this who do not know uh, the whole situation. And, and, and that's why, uh, you know, I put the history of it up there on F.R. Frank Pavone. I put the history of it up there before this happened. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, you got some of these, I, 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 you know, we have the fake news media, right? The mainstream, lamestream fake news media. We've also got the Catholic fake news media. And uh, they're worse. Uh, and, and, and some of them, these, these elite, these, these high and mighty, you know, oh, I'm a respected Catholic blogger, you know, uh, these high and mighty people come along and try to comment on this situation. And unlike you, and unlike those our friends and our colleagues who do authentic you know, journalism and know how to uh, have enough respect for people to contact them, uh, these people don't, you know, it's like, no, 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 I, I don't have to talk to him. They know everything, they know it. And, and so I've been going back through my record because you know, the way they talk and the way they write about this, I think to myself, you know what? I must've missed along the way the fact that they were sitting in the meetings that we had in Rome. I must have missed along the way that they were sitting with me in, and I don't think I told this story when, when we spoke last, when I was sitting in the office of uh, the Diocese of Amarillo with the bishop and his uh, associate priest. And I said, Bishop, uh, you know, as one of your priests, I would like uh, to discuss with you my vocation. I would like to discuss with you the, the, the call I am convinced I have from the Lord to serve the unborn full time. And I wanna discuss with you the discernment of that call. I wanna discuss with you how that relates to my priesthood and therefore how it would translate into any assignment that you might want to give me. Now, I ask anyone listening, what's the proper response a bishop should give to a priest who is asking him for his help and guidance or at least for an open conversation about his vocation. What's the proper response a bishop should give? I'll tell you what the response was. He pushed away from the table angrily and said, we're not discussing this. Hmm. I don't know how other priests would respond to that. In fact, I don't know how I'm supposed to respond to that, except to say he's failing in his, in his, he's failing in his responsibility. Pushes away from the table angrily. Oh, we're not discussing this. Okay, fine. But you know what? I'm living it. You might not want to discuss it, no. but I'm living it. And I am not going to be unfaithful to what I understand as God's call on my life. And this is where, again, going back to this shallow notion of obedience that some people have, obedience does not erase conscience. Now we all know how conscience and the very idea of conscience is abused by you know, those who are, for example, promoting 
pro-abortion, et cetera, et cetera, dissent from the teachings of the church and so on. But it remains true, the church teaches the primacy of conscience. And it's like obedience doesn't erase conscience. You're not supposed to put your, con if your conscience raises objections, you're not supposed to push it to the door or throw it in the garbage or quash it or silence it. There's supposed to be room in the relationship between a priest and his bishop for, for that honest, that the attempt I was making to have an honest uh, 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 revelation of, of what was going on in my mind. Now, if he would sit and listen, you know, he could say, okay, I've heard what you've, you've said, and here's my, my honest assessment. You know, you're making a mistake here, or you're misperceiving things there, or, but we, we didn't even have the conversation. He pushed away from the table, and oh, I'm not gonna have this conversation. Okay, well then I'm gonna find a different bishop then. I mean, isn't that what a priest is supposed to do? So, yeah, it's, you know, it's sad, it's unfortunate, but for those who think they know what has gone on in this situation, and again, this elite fake Catholic media that I, I have had it up to here with these people, um, they think they know. They have not lived through this these last 21 years. They have not been in the room. They have not read the documents or the letters. They have not listened to the arguments. They would be well advised if they're not going to reach out to me like you have done repeatedly or like like a lot of our other friends have done in the in the in the in the authentic Catholic media. Well, then they should keep their mouths shut. With all due respect, they should keep their mouths shut and and uh, and their ears open. You know, if what they're really trying to do is to get to the truth of the matter, you know, out of love for the church and out of respect for people like me, even if they disagree with with me. Yes. You know, I was shocked, Father. I, I've been following you and every, I mean, this whole thing very closely. I was very discouraged. I was honestly shocked by the priests I saw throwing you under the bus. And it, not, I mean, there's many defending you, but there there's a lot who, who have abandoned you. What are your thoughts on that? Well, because they, they had done that a long time ago. You know, when, when we see the reaction of people in a situation like this, it's usually just the manifestation of an attitude that's already been there uh, all along. And, and uh, uh, you know, and it's been clear all along. Again, this is not about them against me, as it is so much about a division within the church itself. And if anything, it shows the need for a ministry like Priests for Life, because uh, it's like, hey guys, we're not we're not asking you anything except let's be on board and encourage one another with the defense of life. And so, see, Taylor, I think it goes back to, and that's why I appreciate these these substantial conversations that you allow me to have, because uh, you know, so many of these interviews, yeah, here's two minutes, you know, that are five minutes, you know, and how can you really delve into something like this in that in that short amount of time? Uh, and and what I'm getting at here is this: that okay, so we have these priests who who are uh, uh, against me. We have certain lay people who are, who are against me, and uh, and then we have a lot of others who they're for me, but you know, they fall into this this uh, mindset of. Well, you know, I, I, I'm with you, I'm with you, Father Frank, but you know I can't say anything publicly, right? You understand I can't say anything publicly. Well, I, I, I'm not sure if I understand that, <laughs> uh, but, but the, be that as it may, what is it exactly that is the cause of their um, disagreement? I mean, w w let, let's, if we analyze it, 
what, what really is it? Sometimes it's hard to discern what exactly the problem is because, again, uh, I mean, uh, should we not heal people from abortion? I mean, we, we don't want to reach that many people who are hurting, right? Or is it that we're having, are we having too many prayer vigils at abortion clinics? Are we, are we electing too many pro-life candidates? I mean, what, and, and I say this honestly, and not out of any pride or arrogance, everybody, a lot of people are doing this work. Uh, and a lot of people support it, and, and we're not saying we're the best ones at doing it. We're just saying we're doing it. We're just saying we're committed to do it. And is there anything wrong with this? And these, some of these bishops, they want to restrict my work. I've, I've asked some of them, okay, you know, you want me to, you know, like one of the arrangements that was offered to me at a certain point in time was, oh, well, you can do this work half of the time. And I said, okay, so which half of these women who need uh, alternatives to abortion that we're reaching every day, which half do you want us not to reach? Uh, or these people who are coming for these healing retreats, uh, you tell me which ones we, which retreats we, you know, we don't do uh, because you know we can't support them, or or, or uh, 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 the people who are uh, the voters, the voters that want to be educated. How can I make a difference for electing pro-life candidates? Uh, you tell me which of those seminars do we cancel? I mean, and they, of course, none of them can ever answer any of these questions. Um, and if it's just personal vendetta or, you know, personal reasons that people are opposed to this, whether we're talking about the lady, the priest or the bishops, it's like, Hey guys, I don't, I have no time for that. And none of us have any time for that. That's where I say, and again, I hope it doesn't sound, uh, arrogant. It's not meant to be arrogant, but that's where I say, Taylor, this is a lot of this is, the, it's their problem, not mine. I'm perfectly content, perfectly happy doing the pro-life work that I'm doing. And uh, I'm knocking at the door to get the priesthood reinstated, but I'm not the one that's got the problem. I, I, I didn't throw away my priesthood. I didn't uh, uh, um, uh, go away from the church. I didn't uh, 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 turn, turn away from any of this work. I'm happy doing the work. I'm doing it. It's bearing fruit. It's not my problem. They, they have some kind of problem with me. Uh, it's their problem. Yes. Now, you had mentioned that uh, there were American bishop or bishops involved in your decree coming through. I, I have a pretty good suspicion on who that would be. Do you think, you're free to, to name them if you want, but do you think the fact that we have the most pro-abortion president of all time who also happens to claim to be a devout Catholic has anything to do with the boldness against you? With the boldness? Yeah, the bold. I mean, it's not just that they're slapping you on the wrist. I mean, they went for the jugular. They are trying to take away your priesthood and render you a layman. Yeah. That's bold. Yeah. Does that have something to do with, with how weak we have become in America, both in the episcopate, but also in the presidency, that we've lost this momentum or that there is? I think, I think this is a worthy question uh, to, to, you know, you look at, for example, at my sermons. Okay. So we have all of them online. We have a, we have a special page, prolifemass.org. On that page, people can look back. They can look back at the election season of 2020, for example, uh, or the election, recent elections of 2022. And they'll see some pretty powerful sermons calling out by name Biden and Pelosi. Um, 
yeah, every once in a while, you know, a priest gives a sermon and he'll call out Biden and, you know, the sermon will go viral, right? You, you get them, I get them, the emails. Oh, look at this, what this priest is. Well, I've got a few dozen of those kind of <laughs> sermons uh, there online and I've been doing it for years. And uh, it's like, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine that um, uh, that some in the hierarchy aren't really, really troubled by those kinds of messages going forth. Now, they've tried to simmer me down in that messaging. They, they, they've tried over the years. The documentation I've put up on frfrankpavone.com, people will see, you know, at various times, oh, well, you know, you, 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 you really can't be saying this, you can't be advocating for that. And, and, and I've responded, again, within these processes, by uh, saying, okay, well, let's have an honest discussion about this because uh, the teachings of the church, as I read them, canon law, the Second Vatican Council documents, uh, uh, encyclicals of the popes, as I read it, the church has to speak the word of God into the political realm. It has to. There's not an option. And she, we have Yes, yeah, she to, always has. Every century, the church has spoken into the political realm. From the, exactly. From the right. apostles to this day. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that right? And so what's different about today? And, and, you know, it seems like it's not, it's not that the teaching has to be reformed. It's that the way we implement it has to be reformed because there is this uh, allergic reaction to being too specific. It's like, oh yeah, you know, we gotta, we gotta build a culture of life. What does that mean exactly? In our current context, building a culture of life means getting the Democrat party out of power. Oh, but no, 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 we can't say that. Oh, yes, 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 we have to say that. Otherwise, how are we gonna do it? If you can't even name your goal, how are you gonna achieve it? And there's so much of this, this cloudy, abstract uh, generalization within the church today. Oh, we gotta build a culture of life. Okay, uh, I think that sounds pretty good. So you're gonna take me to the next step or not? How does that connect to and shape our political choices? You've got a party here that uh, uh, it, it's, it's totally in with the abortion industry. I mean, they have no wiggle room. They do, one member of the House of Representatives of the Democrat side, only one Democrat, voted the, just the other day, I was there, Janet Moran and my associate and I were right there in Congress as the vote was happening. She was in the, in the chamber itself. Um, voted to, 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 to protect babies born alive after a failed abortion. Only one. So it's like, this is a party that we're literally gonna try to say that we're supposed to be neutral. Yeah. You know, Taylor, when people honor, um, so many have a devotion to St. Maximilian Kolbe, and they think that the thing that made him a saint was that he exchanged his life for the prisoner that was gonna be executed, but he was a father and a husband. Well, yeah, that was an act of heroic virtue, but what people don't realize is that that was only the, the final slap in the face that he gave to the Nazis and their godless regime after a long series of slaps in the face that he gave to them through his publishing and broadcasting, you had a priest yes. from a monastery preaching and teaching against a political party. Why? Because they were godless, 
against the freedom of the church and against the, the, the right to life. Clemens von Galen was a bishop who lived at the same time. And he was famous for three sermons that he gave one summer against, again, the anti-life, anti-church policies of the Nazis. They made him a cardinal, and now they're making him a saint. And when he was beatified, uh, the cardinal who gave the, the, the homily said, we are facing today the same kinds of challenges when it comes to uh, anti-life and, and anti-freedom philosophies. Well, where, you know, let's, it, my message to the, to, the, to the bishops is, let's be real. Where and how is that being expressed in American political life today? The Democrat Party. So, uh, yes, I do know that a lot of this, this, this so-called friction between uh, me and the hierarchy, it doesn't come from me being rebellious or not willing to be obedient or anything. When are we going to look at the bigger picture and say, what is our responsibility vis-a-vis -vis the Democrat Party? Are we supposed to pretend that the Democrat Party and the Republican Party are morally equivalent? Is, is that what we're really supposed to pretend? Does that come with ordination? Maybe they're taking away my priesthood because the priesthood now requires that we that we have this 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 that we buy into this this myth that 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 we can be we can remain politically neutral. We can't anymore. In a sense, we know, of course. The church doesn't have, and here I'm quoting again the, 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 the council documents, the church was not given a political mission by Jesus. The church was given a religious mission. But within that religious mission, we've got to speak the word of God and apply it and help people apply it to all realms of life, including politics. So um, some of them don't like that, but, but I would appreciate a discussion on the merits of what's going on here rather than just a character judgment against me. Yes. Now, since you've received the decree and since you've gone in public and talked about it, I imagine there's been a lot of pressure on your bishop. And then also, so that's the first question, has there been any more discussion with your bishop? Any follow-up meetings? And then secondly, oh, have, been... and then the I'm second sorry, one is, have any bishops reached out to you and said, hey, I'll take you on, let's, let's make this work. So what's going on at the bishop level? Yes, well, the many supportive bishops, including uh, uh, many who have been our advisors for many years, and yes, they've, they've reached out to me both before and after uh, this decree and said that they're willing to take me. Um, and in fact, the Vatican even authorized the transfer at one point that uh, the Bishop of Amarillo interfered with. But the Vatican saw this as a, 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 a good option. But you see, if the, if the, if the goal of, of these, uh, these enemies is to blunt my work and my message, putting me under a supportive bishop doesn't solve the problem, it compounds the problem, right? Because then I would have even more uh, uh, church support to go into even more places and, and bring the message even more widely with the at least tacit endorsement of the church. Um, as far as, uh, one thing people have to understand, as far as any communication with the Bishop of Amarillo, that has been non-existent for years, years. I, 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 in fact, I was under orders from all my advisors and canonical team and what, see, this is not something that a priest like me undertakes on his own. 
to, to fight against all of this. This is not me doing things. There's a whole team involved. I have canonical advisors in the US to work together with canonical advisors over in Rome, experts at dealing with the Roman Curia and cases like this. And we've got a whole team of people and, and a whole lot of communication, some of which I'm not, even, much of which I'm not even directly involved in myself. It's much, it's very much parallel to what goes on in a, in a civil uh, proceeding. You know, the lawyers might be talking among themselves and lawyers talking with the judge and processes being worked out that, that, that the petitioner isn't even uh, privy to. Um, so it's much more complicated than meets the eye. But if I've been under orders for a long time, uh, not to have any any communication with this bishop. And uh, for very good reason, because it has been evident that he has uh, an animus against me. Uh, let me give you an ex another example. My canonical, one of my chief canonical advisors from the United States f was asked to come to Rome for a meeting at the Congregation for Clergy. This was at the time when they were deciding whether or not to authorize my transfer to another diocese. He flies to Rome. He said, do you want to come with me? I said, no, I want to come with you because I know exactly how this is going to turn out. I predicted how it was going to turn out. He flies to Rome, right? The meeting was supposed to be with him, with officials of the congregation for clergy, and with Bishop Zurich of Amarillo. Zurich decided not to go to Rome. I want to come in by phone. So they allowed that. My canonical advisor flies to Rome, goes into the office of the Congregation for Clergy. The officials are there. The bishop gets on the phone. Your Excellency, good afternoon. Uh, we are going to start uh, the meeting now. Is Father Pavone's canonical advisor there? Yes, uh, he is here sitting in this room. I will not speak to you unless he leaves the room. They asked my canonical advisor to leave the room. And then the bishop, as related to us by a priest who was in the room, starts yelling at the cardinal prefect of the Congregation for Clergy. You people have got to get this priest under control. You are creating so many problems. This is terrible. They hung up the phone. They came out to my canonical advisor who was sitting in the hallway and they apologized to him because there would not be a meeting. Hmm. Then shortly after that, realizing that there was absolutely positively no way that anything was going to be agreed upon between that bishop and me, that's when they authorized the transfer. They saw it for themselves in a way that they didn't, they didn't want to see or they didn't expect to see. I could tell you a dozen stories that reflect the same kind of irrational negativity that, you know, after a while when somebody deals with this time after time after time, I told you in our last interview how he lied, either he lied or he was incompetent to understand a simple instruction from the Vatican to give me generous permission to do my work. He told me just the opposite. No, 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 I can't give you permission. Uh, they told me, Archbishop Morga told me. So I went to fly to see Archbishop Morga. And he told me, no, no. I told him to be generous in giving you permission. After a while, you sit back and you say, 
I don't have I don't have time for this. I mean, this is not normal. It's not human. It's not respectful. It's not this Catholic. Is not communication. It's not Catholic. There's no goodwill here. This is not communication. This is not a process. This is abuse. And so it's like you know, I got I can't I came to that point a long, long time ago. And, and, and people, this is why I keep going back to, people need to read the history here. Because if, if, they, if they read the history, unlike some of these elite Catholic commentators, I don't know what planet they come from, uh, uh, they know everything. Uh, they, know my, they know my vocation better than I do, apparently. And I wish to God that they would just keep their mouths shut. If they read the history, they'll see that, wow, you know, ha- and I, you know, I invite, like you said, some of the priests who are, you know, not on board with this. Sit back and think, exactly how would you respond to this kind of of of, of situation, living under this for all these years? My goodness, I mean, and then you lead a ministry, and you have a board of advisors of supportive bishops, right? And then one day, I start getting letters from some of our advisors. I can no longer be an advisor to your organization. So, I mean, these are friends of ours. So I, 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 I call them up and say, Bishop, what happened? Did we do something wrong? Oh, oh no, uh, Bishop Zurich said I shouldn't be an advisor to your organization. He took it upon himself to start calling individually the different bishop advisors of our ministry and telling them that they, they shouldn't be advised. He doesn't have any jurisdiction over that. So I said to the bishop, I said, well, I, I, to these advisor bishops, I said, well, did we, did we, is there anything wrong with our work or the way we're doing our work or anything I said that was wrong? No, 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 no. Oh, her work is great. I still support it. But I can't be because this because your bishop told me that, you know, and it's just like other bishops who I know are supportive. And if they if 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 if, if I get invited into their diocese, but then the other bishop says no, it's like they go along with him out of, you know, this fraternal respect. But if their life depended on it, they couldn't give one reason as to why I shouldn't come and share my my message. And they wouldn't be able to give one little thing about what harm. My question is, what harm would it do to the church if I came in and said that mass or if I came in and gave that that pro-life talk? And Taylor, this is what's getting some of them into a real bind now. Let me let me just illustrate this. You know, as we we discussed a moment ago, Rachel's Vineyard is under our umbrella. Right. So this is the largest retreat program for healing after abortion. Some of the dioceses use Rachel's Vineyard as part of their Project Rachel, as part of their outreach of healing. I'm the CEO and chairman of Rachel's Vineyard. Priest for Life provides the, 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 the primary financial support for Rachel's Vineyard. And the founders and coordinators of Rachel's Vineyard are our full-time employees. So now my challenge to these dioceses is, okay, you don't want to have anything to do with me? Should we pull Rachel's Vineyard out of your diocese? Oh, what does this have to do with Rachel's Vineyard? Surprise, surprise, where you're not paying attention. It's a ministry of priests for life. So some of these dioceses are getting themselves into a real bind right now. And so, I might say, is the Holy See mission to the United Nations. The Pope's mission to the United Nations, guess who helps them out in a very substantial way? Priests for life and me personally. So my question to Pope Francis is, uh, do you want it to be today or tomorrow that we just pull our sport? 
and, and we don't give them the help that, that they need and that we want to give them because now you're, you're, you're punishing me and for some reason you, know, you don't want me to do is, is this work that you don't want me to do? Or Taylor, what, what do you think? Are these people going to try to have it both ways? We want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to bite the hand that feeds us. We want to punish this guy. Oh, but we still want to get the benefit of the hard work he's done for the last 30 years in building up this ministry and raising all this support. And we're all we're still going to take advantage of that. And we're going to boast about that. There's one diocese they celebrated just recently, very recently, their 25th anniversary of Razor's Vineyard. Oh, this is great. And they're so proud of it. And what are they going to say to me? Yeah. Oh, thank you. What are they going to say to me? Hey, good work? No. They're going to say, away with you, away with you. So. You know what it reminds me of? Mother Angelica. They wanted to use it. They wanted it for themselves, but they didn't want her. You know, they want the fruit. They want the fruit of the work, but they don't yeah. want her. They got to cut her out. And that was yeah. that was really a big struggle in her life. I mean, what, what do you think? I mean, you were you knew Mother Angelica. You're, what do you th think if she were alive and saw you lay aside, what would she say? You know, I, I haven't thought of that particular question. I know that you she haven't. Would oh, say, my goodness. No, no. Uh, but I know she would say that what the way the approach I'm taking is the right uh, the right approach, which is don't go off to a different denomination, don't rebel, knock at the door as long as it takes this pope, the next pope, whatever, asking them to reconsider this decision, reinstate my priesthood, and in the meantime, with the support of the other leaders of the ministry. Do your work, do your work, do good. That, that St. John Bosco saying, do good and let the birds sing. Uh, I think Mother Angelica would say that. And she would say, you know, fight for your rights, you know. Uh, and again, I, I just, you know, we got to get away from the wimpiness in the church. That was one of the key messages of Mother Angelica, right? So get away, with, enough with this wimpiness. And part of the wimpiness is this, this notion that, oh, no, we got to be passive. We can't do anything to defend our rights. Oh, yes, you can. The church provides mechanisms to defend your rights. And, you know, I have here a, 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 the report that was given to the Congregation for Clergy a decade ago when they did a visitation on our work. And I was very happy, you know, that they, 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 they said this. Let me just quote one sentence here, that they recognize that for me this is a vocational issue. The visitator said, although Father Pavone is a diocesan priest, it would seem that his vocation has shifted from the diocesan priesthood to the worldwide cause for the defense of human life and endeavor clearly supported by the church. Um, and, and, and that goes to the heart of what I've been saying. It's like, can we step back and look at the bigger picture? Uh, why wouldn't there be in the church more priests whose full-time ministry is the defense of the unborn and the fight against abortion, which is widely supported by the church? Um, and that's really the that's really what's been at issue because any conflict I've had with bishops has been you know when they've tried to say oh, no no you can't do this work anymore and I've simply simply asked why not and have not been given an ad never been given an adequate answer to that but I think it's a question that's worth fighting for and I want to ask all our viewers to fight for it with us you know you're fighting for it I'm fighting for it so many others it's like hey 
This is no time to walk away from the abortion issue. It's time to equip and encourage priests who want to give themselves to it and all the rest of us too. And um, even if they come to the judgment for some strange reason that, again, I do not and have never understood that a priest shouldn't be doing work like this, could they maybe take a moment to say thank you? We've seen the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Many people have, have expressed a gratitude and thanks that, hey, you know, your whole team, this whole movement, you know, everyone played a role in making this happen. Do you think that any one of these people who have been involved in this has said, uttered a single syllable of gratitude for that? that I'm not looking for praise. I'm just pointing out the callous, disconnected, ignorant uh, attitude that, that accompanies all of this. It's just, um, it, it's just mind-boggling. Yeah. Well, Father Pavone, I mean, I've been praying for you. You've gotten decades of the rosary for me, and I hope, you know, I encourage everyone else to pray a full rosary for you, if not continue to pray for them. I mean, these are difficult times in the church. I think the death of Pope Benedict on December 31st has refocused us on the Catholic Church globally, what we've, what we've been, what our tasks were as Catholics, and then just how we veered off. And I think your case is, is one of the outstanding examples of what's going wrong. Why can't a Catholic priest be a champion against the greatest crime on earth, the murder and slaughter of unborn babies, and, and be punished for it on what seems to be canonical technicalities when you have other bishops who'd say, hey, I'll take them. Let's just fix this whole problem. Right. Let's just do a transfer and get it done. No, it has to be punitive for some reason. So I encourage everyone to keep praying for you. And then uh, I guess we'll keep sending people to frfrankpavone.com. That's right. That's right. There you got both the history and also the things they can do to help. Excellent. Excellent. So if you need, if you want to help, go to frfrankpavone.com. And uh, I'll see you in a few days in D.C. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have a great time. Awesome. Well, Father, would you, would you lead us in a prayer before we sign off? A absolutely. Father, we, we humbly come before you. Lord, we know that we are all sinners. We know that none of us does our work perfectly. We know that we can all learn uh, from the things that happen to us. And Lord, we ask you for that humble spirit of taking correction. In fact, even more, Lord, seeking correction. Lord, we want to, 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 uh, to experience the healthy uh, discipline of the Lord, because Lord, you, you do call us always to improve. And may we never think uh, that we are beyond the need for improvement or correction. Uh, Lord, uh, make us your humble servants. And Lord, as your people gather together uh, in, in D.C. and in San Francisco for this great, great events of these next few days, advance the cause of life and let people understand the priority uh, that abortion deserves in our personal attention and in the attention of the church and also in the attention of the government uh, that we might do everything possible to protect our youngest brothers and sisters. Give success, Lord, to the work of our hands, for it is your work. And we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Father Frank Bravone, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you soon. And everyone pray your rosary every day, especially pray for Father Frank. And until next time, remember our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Thank you.
Till next time, see you soon.